0: Welcome back to the Starbase Indie Podcast, where we talk to and about people who are inspired by Star Trek or science fiction to work towards hopeful futures in the real world.
1: My name is Rufus Cochran, and I am a data scientist um, at a local um, life sciences company, medical device company, um, and I'm a, I am a guess I'll say computer engineer by trade, and I am a co-founder and executive officer of, uh, I forgot my own title, you know, it's, it's, uh, they're all made up anyway, of uh, Indiana (laughs) Sciences. So um, do science communication stuff um, on the side, so.
0: So you are co-chair and co-founder, if I recall correctly, of the Indiana Sciences Organization and the March for Science Indianapolis. What inspired you to get involved with this work?
1: Yeah, so over the years, my wife and I have both mentored in robotics, specifically the FIRST Robotics program, and um, it's the program that got me interested in doing engineering. And I'm really passionate about you know all of the all the engineers and machinists and mentors that gave time when I was a student um, to get me interested in this stuff. I like to give back in the same way and inspire the next generation. Um, and so uh, when we had been mentoring for years, and then there was an opportunity um to organize with other folks who are really passionate about us using science for the common good in our policy across the state we really wanted to take the opportunity to share um, how science benefits people of all walks of life and how science is really a, a core part of our society kind of regardless of your partisan or political alignment and so what we really tried to do was um create an event that really celebrated science and really um, show people how it's valuable in your everyday life. So we had people from all different disciplines um, and levels of um, technical proficiency come and talk. And it was a big, really, celebration of science. Um, and that work and those folks that we all brought together um, really rolled into the work we do as Indiana Sciences, which is um, outreach in the community to really get people especially targeting that like 25 to 45 range you know adults maybe people earlier in career um interested in science regardless of what their background is right because um you don't have to have you know phd or you know be doing cutting edge science which those people are great and we have them do a lot of talks with us but everybody can appreciate and really engage with science. And so that's really what we try to do with our events. It's really get people uh, to reconnect with the wonder and awe that science uh, provides for us.
0: So what is the Indiana Sciences Organization doing these days?
1: Yeah, yeah, so um, one of our longest running events, um, which I think we're on, season 11 uh, and their half year season. So we're in the middle of uh, year six, I think. Um, It's called Books, Booze and Brains. And so what we do is uh, every month we meet at a local brewery and we read a book that has a science theme or undertone. And then we get a subject matter expert in that book's field to lead a discussion with a a bunch of people in a bar. Uh, Local breweries are, really good partners for us and um, we really love having those conversations in a way that you know kind of pulls down that uh ivory tower mentality of scientists right Uh, a lot of the scientists we have are doing cutting edge research at you know iu school of medicine purdue notre dame all these really great institutions across the state Um, and there are people you can just sit down and have a conversation and a beer with at a local brewery and that's what we we try and foster and we really enjoy having those conversations and uh, the pandemic kind of forced i think a lot of people to work on their formats and tweak the accessibility of their events so we had been live streaming um before just because we'd been packing the bars that we were in and some people can't make it to a bar for one reason or another um and during the pandemic we really had to fall back and use our streaming exclusively and so we now have expanded to where we're on, you know, every streaming platform, you can find it and uh, watch the events, connect and ask questions with the experts. So no matter where you're at in the country, um, you can join us the last Tuesday of every month uh, from 6.30 to eight uh, Eastern standard time. So plug.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's exciting. So what is your November topic?
1: So uh, our November topic is, you know maybe um, yeah, we're doing um, two Black Panther comics, so graphic novels. Um, so we're doing the, uh, the Christopher Price, Black Panther, and we're doing the Tani nehisi Coates Black Panther, those two uh, graphic novels. And um, we're going to have Maurice Broadius, a local Afrofuturist author who you may have probably already had on this podcast. I, I was
0: on his porch last night, yes.
1: Exactly. <laughs> He's going to be one of our experts. And then we'll also have another expert um, on the technology side who will partner with him. Um, and it's really cool having Maurice back because um, we did another. Um, uh, the other the other graphic novel that we did was Cyborg, um, and it was the first um, we had to unexpectedly go remote during the pandemic that month. And so, um, Maurice, um, and, uh, Professor Ankar Gupta, who's also spoke at Starbase, Andy, before a professor of data science at Butler, mm-hmm. um, Ankar and Maurice were our two experts for Cyborg. And they talked about the AI and the, um, artificial intelligence, uh, that Cyborg uses. And it was a, it was a great conversation and we're really excited about, Having Maurice back with another expert for uh November to do Black Panther.
0: How fun. So um, yeah, and I'm working with Ankar right now to try and schedule time with him on the podcast. <laughs> awesome.
1: He, he is he is great. Um, we did um this last month, uh, we opened up the season with uh another graphic novel called A Hollowed Heart. Um, oh, with which, Paul Aller. With Paul Aller, yeah. And mm-hmm. um him and Ankar Gupta had the just best sprawling conversation around artificial intelligence and art um, and culture. And um, those kind of conversations are always so enlightening and fascinating because you have the view of the humanities and the really human take, and then you have a very technical perspective um, and and the deep science side. that is just, it's like fireworks in my mind. It's the fireworks are a great mix of art and science in action. And that's what uh, having two great minds like that um, together uh, is like. So yeah, Ankur's great. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And I'm excited. We've got Paul as a guest this year too.
1: Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. He's a fantastic artist and is a lot of fun to talk to a lot of knowledge and, uh, you know, just to, to give a nerd shout out like he needs it from me but you know started talking star trek and just instant talk on uh, different deep space nine episodes and stuff and he was just right there he knew his stuff so well it was a uh, it's always a delight to meet another star trek nerd uh in uh, out in the wild right <laughs>
0: This is one of the core principles of my own personal (laughs) life, as you might imagine. Yeah, yeah, it was funny when I was talking to Paul for the podcast or just talking to him, I forget which. um, I mentioned that we've got the showrunner for Star Trek prodigy coming Mm. as a guest this year also and he said oh heavens i hope that isn't the one i got in the twitter fight with click 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 (laughs) oh yeah that's the one i got in the not a twitter fight but a conversation about who the best security Mm -hmm. officer in the history of starfleet actually would
1: be Mm. and Mm -hmm. um
0: so yeah, th- th- what a great, I'm, I'm very excited about the synergy we've got coming for this year.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I, I can I can understand those uh, impromptu Twitter beefs uh, because we, we do another event called the City Nature Challenge, which mm-hmm. is uh, documenting the urban biodiversity um, by just everybody in the city going outside and taking pictures with their smartphones. Mm-hmm. And we got into a pretty good Twitter beef with the Cleveland Museum of Natural History um because on the same weekend uh the cleveland cavaliers and the indiana pacers were playing uh a playoff game and so uh we got to have a pretty good trash talking session during that but it's a it's all in good fun and uh i love how brands on social media are a lot more willing to engage uh and stuff like that Uh, so uh no worries i'm yeah all in good faith
0: (laughs) it keeps it fun yes absolutely so, back to talking about you, the United Way recently recognized you as a volunteer of the year. So talk a little bit about what you got the award for and what it means to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was um it was is very heartwarming experience and very uh, you know, it sounds cliche to say, like very humbling, but it it, it was because the uh, the award was the volunteer leader year award for the uh, the work that we do organizing indiana sciences our first robotics team some of the work um, that we've done in other spaces like you mentioned around um, the march for science um, and that none of that work is done by one person right it's really you have to have a whole team and a whole group um to execute on things you know that big for you know for the the March for Science in Indy, we had uh, about 10,000 people at the State House. And there was a team of about two dozen people that made that possible. um And, you know, in the same thing with our nonprofit, we've got a team of, you know, a dozen or so people that help make all of the events that we do possible, not to mention all of our great partners. Right. And so, really humbling to be able to get that award on behalf of. know all the great people that i get the opportunity to work with and it's really one of those things where i kind of dip back into the star Trek well and you know when you're building teams of people you've got to make sure you've got a you know a large diverse group of people that think differently and have different skills because if you have a lot of people that think the same way have the same skill set you're just going to have a lot of people suggesting the same thing and looking at problems the same way and you're not going to find Solutions that that work and attract all the types of people that you you want to have engage and work with your uh, uh, with your programming, right? So
0: organizing volunteers is its own very unique challenge. Yes,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So you have been part of panels at a lot of conventions, including Starbase Cindy, but also <laughs> some other little ones called Gen Con, Pop Con. You know, <laughs> some of those other ones. Yeah. Um, and typically you talk about the science of science fiction. So what is your favorite thing to teach people on these panels?
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I, I love doing the science of science fiction panels that we do because we usually the way we set them up, the formula is really three scientists with different backgrounds that maybe have a loose theme across them. Um, and then let each one of them talk about their expertise as it relates to your favorite, you know, games, movies, um, you know, comics, whatever. And so over the years, you know, we've had um, uh, Matt Sowers, great uh, mechanical engineer, um, tons of patents, really brilliant uh, mechanical engineer. He'll talk about the uh, the physics of D and D traps, um, and is oh, one nice. it is. It's a ton of fun to listen to, but in the same panel, we'll have um, you know, someone like um uh, Bill Sullivan, uh Dr. Bill Sullivan, who's a regular at Starbase Indy, um, talk yep. about different, you know, parasites and microbes that can control our minds, right? And, you know, making those leaps between those types of um scientists. And then, you know, my my own wife, who's a um Electrical engineer a PE, professional engineer, um, she will do talks on you know what happens during the zombie apocalypse. When the power goes out like does it actually go out does it stay on like, what does that even actually look like from a nuts and bolts technical side and uh, most people leave that talk and say like well there's no hope uh, during one of those because. Uh, there's no way power or anything is stained for more than about 24 or 48 hours, and then we're done. So <laughs> uh, you always have to find the optimistic ways to to end that like, oh, there's a lot of solar panels around that you can harvest, and that's the only way you're going to get electricity in a zombie apocalypse. So, <laughs> but, um, but, but that's kind of like the wide range of those that we'll have. And then w- when I speak, I usually talk about, um, you know, artificial intelligence and really what is realistic, what is on the the horizon, and what is maybe too hyperbolic or un, uh, not currently feasible um, in our technology. It's a very, I usually have a very pragmatic talk um, and try to keep it uh, optimistic. But a lot of the stuff that we, we see under that large umbrella of AI um, is, uh, we need to say, a lot of the uh, billionaires that you'll hear speak about the coming ai apocalypses we've we've got a while you've got quite a long time before you're dealing with that so
0: (laughs) we have a minute okay so what do so what do science fiction shows get wrong about ai as it exists today
1: yeah so i think one of the one of the big things is uh, like the tone and the intent that we put on uh, what, we, what we call AI. Um, and if you really break down artificial intelligence, uh, AI is a term that's been around for, for decades and has really been a uh, ever-changing term to cover what's right at the edge of what we know how to technically do. Um, and then back behind that, are the tools and methods that we have for what i'll call like machine learning and so machine learning is is the realm of space that we can actually do and execute right now and you know that space includes uh what all what i, what I jokingly call it work a lot of the things that we don't think are you know the the super sexy buzzwords in like ai right it's, it's regression it's um it's classification it's a lot of these simple tools that we've had for a very long time but what's changed is we have vastly larger amounts of data and we have a lot more powerful computers that we can put that data through so we can take you know different um you know mathematical regression tools which are here's a big chunk of data and i want to put a line across it that tells me what its general trend is right you know tools like that with the amount of data that we had um, available in the past, it wouldn't tell us a lot, it take a long time to compute. Now we can calculate that very quickly and pull out trends and predictions and forecasts out of data far faster than we ever could before. Um, and so, you know, we're really looking for patterns and discovering those patterns and then using those in a way that's useful for us, there isn't a the, tent or the um the maliciousness a lot of the times behind those systems right the things that we see a lot of in our machine learning and our um like the ai systems today are actually the the human bias that comes in as as we set up the systems because we'll make assumptions as we build the the framework for those systems and those assumptions that we have a lot of times our subconscious biases will come in and say like oh you know this is a this is an indicator of that this should probably align with that and then we'll start to build a system crunch numbers and before we know it has. Uh, very accurate predictions, because it just does exactly what we tell it to do. But we've set it up in a way that comes to biased conclusions because we've kind of led the witness and how we programmed it right Uh, a really good example of that is in. um, In an old way that they used to process um, mortgage rates um, and your ability to um, your credit score sorry your credit score is folks who more um, often shopped at convenience stores were seen as a higher risk for um, credit defaults um, because they saw a correlation between the people who shopped at convenience stores and um, credit defaults. But what they weren't looking at is, you know, for the, that setup, there are some areas where you don't have grocery stores, you have food deserts. And what you were actually doing is you were taking institutionalized poverty and building it into your model in a way that would lead you to an outcome that was kind of predetermined right and those are the kind of ways that these systems can get that in i say quote intent or uh, that bias and it's not the system doing it because the system itself uh it's one of the things i i tell my robotic students a lot the system is going to do exactly what you tell it to do now, if you don't if you don't explain it well enough, the system will run into a wall, right? It'll it'll break, but you have to learn how to tell it to do the right thing because it'll do exactly what you tell it to do. Um, and,
0: and anyone it, who has ever worked with a three year old or a robot <laughs> to program knows yeah. how uh, that doesn't always turn out the way we think it will.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, it's interesting too, like bringing it back to Star Trek. Uh, I was I was thinking about this. Uh, before I hopped on the call, you know, it's we've seen kind of generational shifts in the way that AI is viewed um, through the Star Trek lens. Because if you look at the the original series, there's a lot of um, you know the big mind in the back of the civilization running everything uh, maliciously, um, or you know to what it thinks is the right thing. There's the you know the the computer virus that takes over the fleet, and you know Kirk has to hit it with the logic paradox to blow up its brain. Um, and it's it's like this bad guy AI. But then you kind of switch to the next generation period, and you see um, you see like Data come forward as a a cybernetic you know AI that is learning from season to season growing like a human does and and doing good um you know ultimately and, and in the same vein the doctor from star trek voyager right he is he is a base program that just knows how to take care of things and literally is trying to turn himself off the whole first season but then as he has the storage banks expanded and is allowed to to grow He grows as a mirror of the people around him, as the people around him are trying to do good. He's learning from them. Uh, Kess is one that influences him a lot as he grows. And I think that's a really healthy way to look at AI because it will grow and do what we guide it to do. It it will grow up and evolve in the same way that we help it do that. So if, if we're telling the algorithms that we're building, hey, we've got to get more clicks on this page and no matter what the content is, we just got to get clicks. It's going to get all the clicks. It's going to get all the clicks, right? But if we're telling it, hey, let's find you know healthy patterns in people's walking and how that ties back to their heart health and maybe we give them reminders and you know, et cetera, et cetera, to be more efficient, it can help us do what we need to do better, right? And to kind of put the, the beginning to end bow on that, uh random line of talking uh you look at the most uh recent star treks and i think it reflects our current anxieties around how ai is being used so you see and i don't want to i know can do spoilers for the older ones i'll stay away from spoilers for the newer star trek
0: that's probably good yeah yeah
1: so like all i'll say is discovery and Picard have a very different view on ai than you know the next generation and voyager do you know and I think that view reflects our our current anxieties on what's coming with AI and how we see it in the, the zeitgeist right now.
0: And we know it in a different way than we did a couple of decades back, right? For this sure. is one of the things that is fun about science fiction is we can watch it evolve and reflect the time that it is created in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: and always be kind of looking toward what's next, but it always is a product of its time. Mm -hmm. So data science is kind of your day job, too.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is.
0: (laughs) And so your LinkedIn profile says you're an engineer that likes to solve problems and learn new things along Mm -hmm. the way. So what are your favorite kind (laughs) of problems to solve?
1: Yeah, I uh, I think my favorite kinds of problems to solve are the ones that the folks around me haven't solved yet the the new problems the the immediate like we've got to figure this out kind of problems because you know what we've run into a lot uh, in the group that that we've built um to do data science is we're in the operations space so a lot of you know how do you you know get you know these packages here how do you get these supplies there you know when do you get the right technician to go fix this thing, right? And there's a lot of really great work in the operations research space, but a lot of the newer tools in data science uh, aren't being levied against this problem, against these problems in operations, because um, most of the folks doing it are tackling bigger problems in computer science or healthcare. and those really big problems have some of the best minds working on them and are very um, good problems to be solving. But as we're moving forward and we're getting better um, systems to um, solve these problems, we're getting better cloud solutions to get stronger computational power in the hands of everyone. Um, and we're getting better at getting our data together and being good curators of our data within our businesses. We can use these pretty advanced tools in data science to solve, um, a lot more, you know, down, uh, ground level business problems that organizations are having. And so that's what we try to do in our group is solve the, the operations problems um, that we're having with those, um, more advanced tools and always stepping back and remembering that you don't have to use like, hyper spanner when a hammer will work right you can use the simpler tools uh, when you need to but um, a lot of those more advanced tools can help a lot as well so
0: so how has your work in data science impacted what you do with indiana sciences and march for science
1: yeah oh that's that's a really good question um i think the biggest thing for me is i it has made my uh my optimism about what we can do with data science, um, those convictions are a lot stronger uh, since I've been doing it every day. Um, because I can see the potential to to help and to improve. Um, as opposed to a lot of the times, you know, because of the same clickbait titles that kind of drive the algorithms are driving right, uh, the good and the bad of it. Um, we, we usually get a view of the data science the ai side that's you know that's more doom and gloom and scary right but um there is tons of very positive um outcomes from data science and a lot of efficiency that can be gained and a lot of help that it can give to people you know every day and as i see that put in action as i help build systems and teams to to execute on that i get more excited about you know, the 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 hope, the opportunity for us to have like a Jarvis, like Iron Man helping us with the work that we do every day, right? You know, like Cyborg having an AI with us that helps us do a lot of that monotonous computation and stuff that we have to do, the scheduling, the whatevers, you know, that's just done for us and we can focus on the places where we really add value and we want our human brains to be creating and growing, right? Um, so that's uh. I think that's how it's really helped me. Is I'm more optimistic now than I was, and I'm a pretty optimistic person to begin with. So
0: <laughs> we can always use a little more optimism in the world.
1: I tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so speaking of optimism and working with the new generations, you've been a mentor for Indiana First for like 15 years, long before you were doing Indiana Sciences. Yeah. How did you get started doing that?
1: Yeah. So the. Um, when I was in high school, um, I went through the program and had a lot of uh, a lot of people give a lot of time um, to help me realize what I wanted to do and teach me a lot of really valuable hands-on skills that I would use all throughout college and my professional career. And so, as as I got into school, as I learned more and grew and start started working, I realized like, hey. I need to give back in the same way that folks inspired me. I need to go back to my community. I need to go back to my area and help the, the next generation, you know, grow and become passionate for solving, you know, these really, uh, you know, huge problems that we have in society. Right? Technology is really the main one of the main mechanisms we have to tackle, you know, climate change, pandemics, like all of the things happening science and technology are really our are one of our main lines of defense against those things so um you know been been in that space for a long time started a couple of teams throughout um, the indianapolis area um, and are currently um, working at a team uh, downtown here within the circle and just love watching you know each generation of kids catch that you know passion for creating things and then really watching their journey as they build that confidence of hey i can make mistakes i can tinker and make something that does a thing which it sounds so simple but man making something that does something is just mind-blowing it's it's life-changing in a lot of cases where you realize that you have that power to create and man, once you, once people get that spark and realize that they can create, it is, it is hard to quench that fire. You, you see a lot of people go, you know, through the program, they go to college and then, yeah, I, I'm very fortunate to have my first generation of students that I mentored now in their like second, you know, jobs after college, right? Like in that, Uh, That millennial career change point that a lot of us have we work a little bit somewhere and then we just do a whole career change. Um, But behind them, you know generations of students in college, you know, uh, a whole new batch of students in high school right now and uh, just really, really cool to watch that growth and progression which is another thing i'll just give another plug for optimism makes me very optimistic for the future seeing what these kids can come up with and uh, the solutions that they just find so quickly
0: there is a certain value to not knowing a lot of things and trying things that you know that innocent approach oh, to the world
1: oh yeah that uh so socratic irony right that uh, whole idea of maybe I, I take the things that i think i know i put them aside and i just ask naive questions out into the world and find out what i find out you know
0: <laughs> dumb questions are one of my favorite techniques for solving yeah. <laughs> problems <Absolutely>. exactly <laughs> so in addition to the stuff you do with indiana first you also founded a combat robotics team so talk a little bit about the difference between what indiana first does and Battlebots.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that. Uh, so I'll tell a little story then. So the I I started doing robotics when I was in seventh grade because my uh, little brother and I would watch Battlebots on TV like every night that it was on, and so I, I saw in the newspaper. I'm dating myself a little bit here with when Battlebots was airing and when people still read newspapers, I guess. But <laughs> um, you know, there was an article in the newspaper that said, "Hey." local robotics team were doing a call out and so i went and you know young bright-eyed and i was like hey what you know what weapons are we building you know how are we going to destroy these other robots and an old mentor with a big white beard set me down and he said so the robots we build work with other robots to complete
0: tasks
1: <laughs> we don't try to destroy them and i went ah, okay okay let's uh I guess I can try this, let's uh, check it out. And (laughs) that was, you know, a couple decades ago and I've been doing first ever since then. But that love for combat robotics, that thing that initially kind of pulled me in has always been there. And so when they relaunched BattleBots um, was probably six or seven years ago, um, we applied for the first season. So we built a team of folks and we applied and redesigned designed a robot and submitted it. And uh, you can go on the BattleBots uh, uh, fan wiki, and if you look up Dankbots, D-E-N-K-B-O-T-S, you can see our design and submission, right? And we designed a, a robot that was very efficient, you know, definitely a bunch of engineers. And I got a call back from the creators, right? So uh, Roski and then they called and uh, they were like, hey, We love your guys' team. We love what you guys have designed, but it's not going to look great on TV. It's pretty plain. It's going to be very efficient. But the whole idea on TV is to be exciting, right? And he said, I think you would benefit if you came out, come out to San Francisco, come out to LA and like watch the taping of the season, meet some of the other teams and uh it was a dream come true so i got to you know go out um, to san francisco meet a lot of folks um like my coworkers, anytime there's reruns there's a couple episodes where i'm in the crowd and my coworkers will be like oh i saw rufus in there and it's, it's uh <laughs> it's fun but it was it was very eye-opening to see you know the the filming of a show live and what it takes to you know, those shots that you think are very fluid, um, the stuff that you think is kind of happens naturally. There's a lot of production and crowd work and stuff that goes into making that happen when you film a television show, which I had never seen any of this before. And it kind of it blew my mind. And I was like, wow, okay, I do have a lot to learn. I'm glad they brought us out here. So we did a full redesign uh, of the robot. We gave it uh, like a face, a personality, um really went all in and then they lost their 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 funding to do new robots for that next season so it kind of got tabled and then you know time passed so we never got to compete with that robot but that team that we created um a lot of resources came together we've made some you know smaller weight class combat robots um and there are other smaller weight class combat robot teams throughout Indiana, right? And that whole ecosystem exists. Um, and that's a whole other wonderful discussion. But uh the, the BattleBots team itself, um we we had kind of those designs and then we said, okay, we'll we'll wait and maybe in the future they'll reboot again and can give funding because those robots are not cheap to build. So Imagine not uh, <laughs> But uh, no, it was a great it was a great experience, and um, the the team that we pulled together there that's a lot of the folks we do Indiana sciences with, right? A lot of really bright, passionate people, um, and that's I think that's one of the the big lessons that I've learned throughout a lot of the stuff we've done is, you know, no no failure is an end, right? Every failure is you learn and you build on the skills that it took to even fail. And you apply all of that to the next thing that you attempt right Um, and it's really you know. I don't maybe I don't mix into Batman uh, and Star Trek talk but it's not how many times you get knocked down it's how many times you get back up right so when when certain opportunities don't pan out you try other ones, Um, so a lot of uh, a lot of really cool stuff learned from that opportunity
0: absolutely and i love that contradiction between what works really well and what works on television
1: <laughs> yes yeah i i it's funny i made a, a joke once of like one of the robots was uh, shooting fire and it's like that doesn't do anything you know like why would you even do that and then after going and watching the filming you know watching the production you're like oh it's because it looks cool on tv and that's really important because there's no Battle bots without an audience, right? And and when you start to put it all together, you're like, ah, this makes a lot more sense now.
0: (laughs) So, which do you like better, the collaborative or the uh, destructive robots?
1: Oh my goodness! Uh, I think that's saying like, which one of your kids do you love more? uh, (laughs) No, I don't have an answer. I I really deeply enjoy both uh, because they're two very different problems. Uh, One the building a combat robot, so much of the, the technical like beauty in it is designing a system that is so robust, that is you know, fail safe, that is um, over-engineered where it needs to be, um, but also can you know, break and uh, uh, fail in, in positive ways that are, uh, are spectacular. Um, whereas with the collaborative robots, you're really, you're less focused on the heavy durability and a lot more of the the technical finesse and that space gives you a lot more of, um, a lot more opportunity, opportunity to try with more technical solutions and more complex solutions.
0: So, um, you have been to Starbase Indy several years. Mm -hmm what is it that you love about starbase indy uh
1: easy answer it's the people like the getting to see so many faces that i only get to see like once a year um and really getting to connect with people that are just as passionate with me about a whole range of things um, i think is the thing that really makes it such a a fun event and that's why you know just another plug you should come to drink with a scientist uh at starbase indy because we we bring in subject matter experts but the thing i love so much about starbase indy is that subject matter experts just wander in because they're, <laughs> they're all at the conference anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we get to meet so many amazing people that to be honest end up being panelists or guests at, at our events um, because we run into them at starbase indy and don't realize that they're you know, maybe just to drive up the street at a different university, um, and so it's uh, it's definitely the the people and that that environment that meeting those people in uh, is conducive to.
0: What are you working on next?
1: That is a great question. <laughs> uh, I think the the big things that we're working on right now is there. Um, you know, just a plug, there's a midterm election coming up. Uh, No matter who you're going to vote for, please get registered to vote. It's very important. Um, And we'll be doing efforts around uh, like science votes uh, in in that uh, realm, really just trying to get people registered and aware because midterm elections usually have lower turnout, um, but they're just as important. Um, And then, you know, we've got our current season of books, booze and brains going on. And then um, I think as we look towards next year, um we've got our we've got a lot of conventions uh to do our talks at. We've got more books, booze, and brains, and we'll have the uh the city nature challenge, which uh if you no matter what city you're in, there's somebody doing it. And all you got to do is go outside and take pictures of uh the grass, the bugs, the birds, the bees, and uh you can uh, you can be a citizen scientist and your data will get used to help uh, your local community. So that's always I think that's always fun to get to do yeah. some real science. <laughs>
0: that's very cool. So where can people find you online?
1: Yeah. So um if you go to at Indiana Sciences on any of the platforms or indianasciences.org, um, you can find our, our websites, our social media, um, and connect with us there and we are uh, easy to get a hold to, easy to get a hold of, easy to talk to if you, I can make words um, on a podcast. <laughs> and uh, we just really enjoy doing this. So if, if this is the kind of stuff that you're interested in and like, um, you know reach out to us. We love doing collaborations. We love doing partnerships. And uh, you know, and just a shout out back. Thank you so much for like I mentioned before, we've connected with so many people through Starbase Indy and this community and the group of people that you have is uh, so warm and nice every time that we participate so it's just it is always such a blast to to work with all of you
0: <laughs> it you know it's funny i've been doing i've got almost 30 episodes of this podcast recorded and 90% of the people i've talked to have been at starbase and i always ask the question oh, what do you love and it's always the people The people the community which is what i love about it and so you know we i've been talking to our guests we've got the show coming up and let's not count the days (laughs) because there's lots of time lots of time um but (laughs) as i'm talking to the guests uh, about our community it's pretty cool to be able to say, you're going to have a great experience. And we have some returning guests like Sandy Gimple, who's come to see us a couple of times Mm -hmm. and just like, I can't wait to see my friends, which is pretty cool.
1: Oh yeah. And everyone is so like, even the, the, the experts, the celebrities, like the, everyone's so accessible and so open and warm because it's a community that everyone is really passionate about what what this is all about and it's a weird way to say it but like everybody's passionate about everybody loves it so it's it's very easy to connect with people and that's it just it makes it a really good time
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely great well uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me and we'll see you at starbase in plenty of time from now
1: (laughs) oh yeah yeah and thank you guys again so much for having us and uh can't wait everybody come drink with a scientist
0: Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie podcast. To find more information about our live event this November, check us out at starbaseindie.org or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. See you on the Starbase.